Welcome to Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion and culture with the personalities that shape it. My guest this week is the co-founder of Outlier, Abe Burmeister. Abe and I talked about how he got started by trying to create a better pair of pants and how Outlier is building the future of clothing. Let's do it. Which, okay, so Mr. Abe Burmeister. Yeah. You're on Blamo. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you. Um... I've always been like a huge fan of Outlier in different capacities over the years. At first, I had discovered Outlier because a friend of mine, as I was talking to you earlier before we started recording, was this wannabe bike messenger. And I say wannabe because he had a bike and he would ride it everywhere, but I don't think he actually brought anything to anyone. He would just like, oh yeah, like I had some deliveries today. I wasn't able to do it. So, so he was selling weed, basically. <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe he was selling weed. But um, he was obsessed with Outlier, and he also is one of those kinds of folks whom uh, is someone who loves to know about the new thing before other people. So for him, Outlier was like his brand, and he's like, check out these pants. They're like jeans, but they're made with this awesome, like waterproof you know, material called Scheller. And I was like, I think it's Scholler. But that's where I first heard about Outlier. And so my, the color of Outlier in my experience was like, there's some elitist bike messenger company. But as I got to learn more and more about the brand, and obviously over the years, you guys have turned into this really incredible, like half cool tech wear ninja stuff to like amazing functional brand that just does nothing but listens and interacts with its audience. Yeah, I mean, I guess in the end of the day, we just like to learn, right? Yeah. And we like to make cool shit, and so we learn by making cool shit. And so the very first product was was very bike oriented, so we were this bike brand at the at the get go, and then pretty quickly it came to like be this kind of like pigeonhole trap thing for us. We were like, wow, you know, like we made these clothes not really to be like the bike dude, but to like not look like the bike dude. Oh, okay. Uh, um, and. Like, we didn't really want to be just a bike company. Like, there was a lot more fun stuff out there. We learned really, really early on that there was this world of tech materials that nobody was using. We were like, you know, at first we found them because I wanted a pair of pants to ride my bike with that I could, like, basically wanted, like, to do everything pants. I could go to a meeting. I could go to dinner. I could go out at night. I could do what and jump on my bike and, like, not worry about my jeans falling apart. And, you know, right. So that was the original, original outlier stuff. Um, but once we started playing with that, you know, we found these materials and they were like, wait, nobody's touching this. You know, like all these, you know, the top of the outerwear world, you need to figure they use the best stuff. And it's not like they use bad products. Like the outerwear world is like very material focused, but they're, mm-hmm. they're not using the best stuff because they're very price conscious. Sure. Um, and we were like, well, we're in New York. You know, our consumers are not like necessarily as price conscious. We're not trying to make luxury goods, but like. There's a little bit of leeway to make better products and, and more interesting products. And so we really dived into the world of materials. And then the bike started to become this kind of trap that we had to escape from. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, it definitely doesn't feel like that's the case anymore, right? I mean, well, it's very intentional. So we, right. what happened at first, we were just like, oh, yeah, so we want to do more than bike stuff. So we'll take a photo shoot on a bike and then we'll do a photo shoot off a bike. And like, no problem, right? And it's work. You know, we take a photo shoot off a bike and then be cool and then we do another one on a bike and then be like oh yeah that bike company and we're like <laughs> no <laughs> and, we're like, and so finally there was a point it's probably like about two years in a year and a half two years in where we were just like no more photos on bikes that's it you know like 
We're just never going to photograph another product on a bicycle. Interesting. And so the functionality is still there and a lot, you know, it's not always as, as explicit as it once was, but, you know, we didn't you know those products. We still make some of the same products from back then. Um, but we're just, we can't take a photo on a bicycle. Yeah. It's yeah. like our only rule with photos is like no bicycles. <laughs> well, I, I want to jump back a little bit and talk a bit about you. So where are you originally from? I'm from here. I grew up in, in Manhattan. For real? Yeah. So, oh, wow. Yeah. You're was, like a true born and bred New Yorker. 12th Street. Born on 12th Street. Wow. Yeah, but I grew up uptown, 113th and Broadway. Okay. And uh, yeah, so I grew up in New York, but then, you know, I went out to California for school. So I got a little bit of that laid back vibe that stuck in me somewhere. Okay. What, for college? Yeah, for college. Yeah. Where'd you go to school? Uh, a place called Pomona College. Pomona. Yeah. Nice. Um, and then obviously you, you migrated back here. I can't escape New York. I've, I've been a lot of different places, but I always come back. It's, uh, you know, I lived in California a few times. I lived out in London for a while. It was, um, and then I've traveled. Like I lived out of a carry-on bag for four years. So Good Lord. So pretty nomadic. Um, yeah, it was super. Well, it was like very intentionally nomadic, like to the point of being stupid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but uh, it's actually relevant to Outlier. It's, uh, it was 2001. Actually, it had this this weird device called a Ricochet. It was like basically like Wi-Fi before Wi-Fi, or like cell phone before cell phone. It had it was like worked in like 14 cities, and it was like high speed wireless internet. Oh, and I had it just because the internet in my house was so bad. That, yeah, that's a and I was like doing business. Like I had an animation company with some friends, and we were like, they were in San Francisco, I was here, and I just needed it when my internet connection would go down. But then I, one day I was like sitting there, I was like, wait, I have this ricochet, and I have this like cell phone and a laptop, and like, what else do I need? Like, and then I got kicked out of my house, and I was like, all right, I'm just gonna get rid of all my records and heavy objects and and live out you know i just bust around i got to go to san francisco all the time but like i don't really want to be there so right um i was like i have this this ricochet and um i can i can travel anywhere um and then they went out of business a week after i started doing that (laughs) (laughs) that's the ultimate dream though i have a few friends who feel like they're they're tied down to new york or their stuff or their apartment you know i have a friend who's like at the end of the day, if I can't fit everything I own in a trunk, I just don't want to do it. And I'm like, okay. But there is something to be said about the ability to just get up and go and move around and have the, the true mobile life. No, it was amazing when I was in my 20s. You know, it lasted like about four years. And it's a thing now. Like there's whole, like, so some of our customers, there's these whole worlds you can dig into digital nomads now who are like, you know, they code or whatever, or like they're designers and they're like, I'm on the beach in Thailand and I'm making like $200 an hour like coding <laughs> or whatever. And they like, here's like the 20 items I own, right? And then, they, you know, we show up in there. Everyday carry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, it's a whole thing. But, you know, I... Eventually, I got to this point where I was like, all right, if I really want to build what I want to build, and I didn't even know what I wanted to build, but it, it just, I hit a point where I was like, no, I need to be somewhere, like, just bouncing. And it was cool when you're in your 20s. It's like, you know, you're traveling, you're seeing the world, you're, you run out of money, and you starve a little bit, and then you find some more money. And Yeah. Um, but, you know, eventually, like, I, I realized I wanted to build something a little more substantial. So, Outlier comes in at what time? Uh, I mean, Outlier was a few years after that. I went to grad school um, at NYU. Okay. A uh, program called ITP, which is like a just undescribable sort of weird 
like near future tech, I guess. It's like it's like consumer grade tech, like but the consumer grade that just happened yesterday or tomorrow, not like sounds apropos. Yeah, so it was ah, it was an amazing place. It was it was a little wild and strange. It's this one floor in NYU that's kinda like totally independent from the rest of NYU and uh and people just messing around and making cool shit. And so um I went there for a while and um and it had nothing to do with Outlier except that uh I was riding my bike there and that's that's kinda like when the the idea hit me. It had nothing to do with what I was doing. Right. Um, I just you know, I was destroying my jeans, like, and I was like, there's got to be something better, so, um, and I was a grad student, actually, it just graduated, but I was like, oh, I'll use this grad student thing to, like, get my first sample order of fabric, you know, like that, you got to convince these companies to sell stuff to you, so. Yeah, it's very difficult, especially for, you know, I think, like, when you had done it, it was, like, Scholar Fabric or something, and they're a big Swiss company, to be like, can I just have a tiny bit? They're like, we only sell hundreds of meters or whatever at a time or something. Yeah, I mean they they these companies all sell say you know they provide sample meters, sell it to you, right? Right. If they think you're a real company, but they get people, especially shoulder cuz they're like kind of like a branded like the innovator in textiles, you know. Right. And um so yeah, they get people all the time with like crazy ideas trying to like buy like 2 yards of fabric from them and so they're totally willing to do it if you're a real customer, but if you're if you're not if you're some guy who's trying to life hack him his his whole way around, right? Yeah, or if you're trying to like make dog beds or who knows, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a good idea there. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's uh, it you know, there's all kinds of ideas. People have lots of ideas, and so, but you gotta kind of hustle your way through those early stages. Well, the, so that's something I, I want to really pin on is is yes, there are a lot of people who have ideas. I had uh, a friend who was always thinking of the next cool crazy thing but he never did it right and there's a big difference of people who have ideas to do something and actually do it versus the ones who are like yeah someday but you did it so you made these these pants um and what when when does it come into play that i make a product but i could make a company or a living off of this i mean we just did it really one day at a time so i made the pants and i you know i i wasn't trying to make a company i was trying to make some pants for myself and Um, and then I was like, these work, like I did it, like maybe other people want it, you know, like, you know, is there something here? Mm -hmm. And, and then I quickly realized that like, if I put them into the traditional kind of fashion ecosystem, they'd cost like 600 bucks or something. I was like, because of wholesale and yeah, I was like, wow, I, it's crazy. I've never bought $600 pants. that didn't come with a sport coat. Right. 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 And so I was like, all right, well, what about if I put them online? And I was way better at making websites than making clothes, right? I knew way more about that. So sure. I was like, well, let's just put it online and see what happens, you know? And so that was kind of a lucky, the right place at the right time. And this is 2009 or 10? Eight, 2008. So this is, okay, that's, that's even earlier. Yeah. And I mean, the truth was no one was really doing e-commerce. I think now, like when someone says, oh yeah, we put it online, that's... Duh, everyone thinks that, but that it's 2017. But this is, you know, so much earlier. No one really has an idea of how you would engage with a customer in a digital age or even sell something digitally. I mean, no one was doing that. Yeah, no, I mean, we weren't, we weren't the first. Like, there were a few models we looked at. There was a company called mm-hmm. Finisterre. They're still around. They were like a cold water surf company, like on the edge of, in Cornwall, England, actually. Okay. Um, it's really random. I ended up visiting them like 
when, when we were starting because I had there was a random reason for me to be in Cornwall and like really yeah. British vacation. No, it was like a <laughs> conference or something I wanted to go to, and it just happened to be like down like you know like a twenty minute train ride from where this you know Finisterre was. So, right. So that was like I guess the one that that we looked at. We were like, wow, they're doing this online direct kind of cool clothes and. Um, and there were a few other ones and, you know, some people that like we didn't know about that showed up at the same time. And, um, we certainly weren't the first people, but like it was early. Right. There was, there was very little guidance or guidelines or anything, but there was, I mean, a huge shift in the margins, right? You know, the price, the wholesale markups are really high. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that, that just gave this big wide opening, um, that's closing now. Yeah. Um, but well, you mean closing as people are trying to do direct to consumer more? Yeah. There's way more people like doing direct to consumer. We also didn't realize, you know, like we're like, oh wow, there's this gap between wholesale and retail, but you know, there's already all these direct to consumer retailers, right? The gap, right? Right. J. Okay. Crew like that. So like the, the, the hole was sort of filled, but you know, the advantage we didn't have stores, right? We weren't paying rent. Yeah. Like, much less overhead. So there was still a pricing advantage that, that allowed us to slip in. But now there's tons of direct-to-consumer, so it's kind of gone. And then the flip is there's more and more direct-to-consumer brands. So the, you know, all our customers came for free for years um, just by word of mouth and, like, weird press hits and stuff. And, um, you know, that, that's different now. Like, now they're, you're competing with, like, hundreds and hundreds of other direct brands and non-direct brands for everybody's attention, right? So. Yeah, well, I mean, fortunately and unfortunately, most of, you know, when was the last time you went into a brick-and-mortar store to really buy something? I mean, you you look at sales in, in general and historically and even this past holiday, I mean, everything is e-commerce. So there's there's still every brand, I feel like, is constantly trying to find a way to have this really natural uh, and intimate relationship with their customer. And I think that's actually something you guys do really well is... People are like, well, how, how do we do this? Like, so example, like we're Louis Vuitton. Like, how do we do direct to consumer? Like how, you know, oh, it took them forever to, to do any sort of e-commerce. But like for you guys, and I'm not saying you're Louis Vuitton, but like you guys, the other day you did an Instagram live video where you're, you know, you're communicating to your customers. You have an extremely live and active Reddit community of just diehard fans who are just foaming at the mouth to try to get all of your new products. I mean, a part of it is just being open, you know, like the Instagram Rive has been amazing. We've been doing it for maybe four months, six months. I don't right. even know exactly. But, you know, it's just like Instagram added this feature. And at first I was like, what the hell is this? You know? <laughs> and it was like the first, I remember the first time I, I wasn't even, it was before Instagram Live. It was like Periscope or something. And the first time yeah. I like. Meerkat and Periscope. Yeah. I like logged into one of those and I was freaked out. I was right. like, this is like. <laughs> Like, who is this person I don't really know whose life is, like, showing up in front of me? Like, it was strange. But, you know, you, you get over that pretty quickly. And, the, you know, the product evolves a little bit. And so we were just, you know, you just try it. Like, it doesn't, you know, just get up and hit the button. And it's not really that hard. And, like, and see what happens, right? And so that's yeah. kind of what we, we live by. I mean, the Reddit was the same way. Like, we started messing with Reddit because uh, we were getting all this traffic from male fashion advice, right? Yeah, there's almost a million people on that Reddit group now. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty strange 
place you know yeah. we, we'd go there and be like this is weird but it's driving you know we'd be like where's all this traffic coming from and it'd be like some comment like 200 comments down on like what i wore today and you'd mm-hmm. be like how are so many people coming from like this thing buried here you know yeah on this so, site design too yeah so <laughs> it's it was wild we were like this is this is kind of crazy and at a certain point you know, well, one of the things we learned is that, like, if you, like, jump into one of those threads, because, like, you know, it's the internet, it's Reddit, it can get really nasty. Yes, it can. And as soon as you show your face, it's like a, people do a 180, you know, they'll be, like, talking all kinds of trash about you. And then you show up and be like, hey, you're talking about me. And then they're like, it's a whole nother world. It's yeah. crazy. Oh, I, I meant I meant no offense, but I was only trying to suggest the criticism. And you're like, whatever, man. So we were like, that's wild. <laughs> we were like, and then we were just like, what happens if we start our own subreddit? And yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people on your subreddit. Yeah. It's crazy. I don't, and I still like the, I, I can't even remember the early days of it. Like we just did it. Yeah. And we're just like, all right, let's play around and spend, you know, a few hours like making it. And then I don't know, people showed up eventually. At first we didn't even tell people, like we didn't put in our email at first or anything. Like people just kind of found it and mm-hmm. uh and yeah and then we i guess we promoted it through our email a little bit and um but it's it's kind of a wild space yeah um and you know it's but it takes work you have to culture it and cultivate it and and sometimes it's like a kid i guess it like you know will snap at you and fucking you know say all kinds of stuff back at you so well, um, i mean the the interesting thing though is like the stuff from your reddit it seems that the problems that if if they are problems that you're having, they're good ones. I mean, just, I'm pretty, I goof around on Reddit a bunch, but the last stuff I saw in yours was that, like, just people couldn't get your recent parka or your, like, that it was sold out, you know? I mean, people get mad. (laughs) Well, and that's kind of, and this is something we can discuss, we don't have to get too deep into, but the fact that um, I've worked in, in other capacities of menswear and retail, and one of the worst things I learned that you can tell an American consumer is no, is is if if they don't have it available. Like there's, you know, Supreme is an extreme example of something like that, into which okay, they know they can sell 500. All right, let's make 300, um, because you keep that demand and that desire live. Because nothing is it. Unfortunately, like nothing is cooler than flexing, you know, whatever cool thing you just got on social media and someone wants it and it's sold out. Yeah, I mean, there's human (laughs) desire is is there. It's wild. But the the other side of it, like there's also like a a more serious side, which is that like, you know, American retail in particular, but like global retail is like built on this kind of like binge and purge model right now. It's really not healthy. Right. So you have like, you know, H&M, you know, and they're like burning tons of clothes and stuff because they just make you know they they make a lot rather than losing a sale they'll make too much right and Mm -hmm. bring the price down and they negotiate whatever you know all these different pieces of the puzzle and then if like it doesn't sell because they made garbage product then they burn it they throw it out you know they discount it first and then and that's not healthy right yeah and so and it's really frustrating as a consumer when you can't get something but ultimately, like, you know, perfect demand, there'd be exactly the right amount of product for exactly the right amount of people. But that's impossible in this world. You never, never know who's going to love what and at what price. Yeah, well, especially with clothing, too, into which there can, you know, say some celebrity wears something and then all of a sudden everyone wants, you know, say Kanye West wears a, a turquoise 
acne sweater and then they only made like 200 of them and now you know everyone wants this damn sweater well yeah and then there's like the deliberate you know so the supremes and nike yeah. now like you know it's it's not just accidental it's it's very intentional right this sort of like cultivation of demand right so in in terms of what outlier has been doing i mean some of the when i first again was interacting with the brand i think one of the big things that you guys did that I actually bought was the peacoat. Do you remember the peacoat? Yeah, totally, yeah. Um, and the, the stuff that you guys were making, this was also, again, you guys were pretty far ahead of your time and the fact that a lot of brands um, that were these like pseudo fashion or fashion brands would do a collection, right? So here's our fall, winter 10 collection. And you guys have always done just a piece or a piece at a time. Um, and now, I mean, more than ever, I mean, now I think you guys relabeled them as like experiments, right? Well, we do experiments. Experiments are like when we're, when we don't know, we take risks and we like, we're trying to figure out what's going on, you know, and an experiment can be a lot of things, but it, you know, basically like when we're playing with the new material, we're playing with a new, you know, form shape that, you know, we're like experiments are the way we take risks. Interesting. Um, and, um, and we drop them, we do more and more of them. What um, inspired that? Just the concept of that? I, I can't even, honestly, you know, I, I, well, no, I do remember. So we did, originally they were called um, OPPs. Right. They were like, uh, um, what was it? Outlier Public Prototype um, is what it stood for. And the idea was that we wanted to like create a format that like, that was really, really easy for us to just put stuff online. Like it would strip out like a format that just would strip out all the extraneous stuff, like the extra photo shoot stuff. So the original OPPs, like we would, blur out people's faces when we took the photos because you know like when you take a photo like that's actually the hardest part it's not like <laughs> getting the, the clothes to look good you know that, that that's an art too but like you know the model and yeah, all if that. The, yeah if sure. the clothes look great and the models like got their eyes closed like you're like damn you either have to <laughs> do all this photoshop or you have to like yeah. find a new photo right so we were just like oh if we just blur out the faces then it's easier for us to take photos and just really kind of strip down the the text everything we, we stripped down probably a little too much um, but yeah, the idea was just to make a, a format that we could, could move really quickly and play around with ideas, um, in public, right? So it was outlier public prototypes because mm -hmm. we make test products all the time for ourselves and you learn a lot from them, but you learn so much more when you sell it to somebody because they're going to have a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> Not everybody, obviously, but like, you know, the, the vocal subset, like, you know. Well, again, like your audience, like we were talking about, they love to give you feedback and the great part is you guys are, have at least from everything i've read and seen you guys are very open to that feedback and that you're receptive to it and that that's huge yeah i mean it's it's the 21st century right like the you know people have a a platform that they can go and talk on and so we're gonna we're gonna be there and talking with them yeah um this is i don't know if you'll make you'll be happy or sad about this but i'm am in a internal group on this brand it's a massive brand um and they have a internal like facebook group that they have been trying to get people's opinions on on brands that they like and one of the brands that they all constantly talk about and reference these are the people in the group is outlier <laughs> but you won't say what brand it is i'll, I'll tell you the brand after <laughs> yeah, okay. after the thing but i mean it's it's crazy to me that you know i mean i think you guys are moving the needle way more than what you may realize in terms of the industry and then the the people who matter and care a lot in the industry on what you guys do. 
Yeah, I mean, we see it sometimes, you know, like there's there was a very large brand that like basically stole our copy and concept from like five years ago, like this fall. Yeah. And we were like, okay, like, and it, it was interesting because you could tell like they ran it through their legal and like it was framed like, you know, we're like, oh, we don't have much legal recourse here, but <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's really similar. Yeah. Um, And then there's other, you know, products and stuff. It happens, but you know, f- I don't know. I, I probably, you know, as a business person, it sucks. You're like, God damn, why are these people doing this? But um, as a human, it's cool. It's like, wow, you know, like I started this because I couldn't find these things I wanted. Yeah. And now other people are making them. That's amazing. Right. So have you had any recent, ex- you know, ex- experiments, I'm air quoting here, that you've were like, okay, we've gotten some really good insight into this. We're now going to put this into uh, production more often. I mean, what? Yeah, there's lots of pieces. I mean, they, we get lots of feedback and, you know, some of them fly off the shelves and we like look at it and we're like, yeah, it flew off the shelves because we priced it wrong. You know, it's too mm. cheap, right? And like, we can't actually make that because like, you know, at that price at least. And then sometimes um, we get the opposite where it does really poorly and we're like, we love this. And then we like, okay, you know, how do we, if we love this, like how do we communicate this to people? How do we learn? Yeah. Um, but in terms of products flipping around, I'm trying to think of a good example here. Um, I don't know if they started an experiment, but the strong dungarees are like the most successful thing we launched last year. Yeah. Um, so it was just a new, it was actually a fabric that we'd been using for a little bit and in a pant model that we had been doing. And then, but just putting the two together was like that magic kind of combination like there, where it was like, wow, this is the product of the year. Um, and then we ended the year with this uh, shelter from the storm, which was an experiment like doing the parka. Like, yeah, dude, that parka really... is so good. I missed out on it, unfortunately, which is just such a pain in the ass. But because I w- did that sell out in like fifteen minutes? It sold out. the 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 rain shell, like the that that parka sold, um, jacket, sold out in under an hour. God. And then the the like winter parka, which we just did, yeah, that sold out in like I don't know five minutes or something crazy. How does it make you feel? Uh, I was in the other, I was out of the country on the, on the, like the five minutes. So I missed all the drama. So I was like, I don't know. It's, it's mixed, right? Like five minutes is too quick. You know, like we, we like it. That's when like stuff Supreme. <laughs> we, I mean, we didn't make a ton of them. Like, right. you know, it was a parka that was coming out too late, right? January is too late to release a parka, but it was like when we finally got it. Right. And sure. so, um, and it was underpriced, honestly, um, which is a mistake that I made. So. Um, oh. and I think that's why it sold so quickly. If we had priced it, like what the, our pricing models had told us the price it had, like, I think, you know, probably would have sold, sold out given the demand that we saw, but it would have been a little slower. I mean, it, that's just so fascinating to me and that you guys are doing all these experiments and, and, uh, just in public. I mean, I, there's just so many brands that they're worried that that'll be bad towards their brand. And I think your brand has this really beautiful human aspect to it that I think, again, like a lot of these brands want to find a way to have a deeper connection with their customers. And this is something that you guys are just naturally doing. And the more we're talking about it, it feels like you guys are just like, well, yeah, we wouldn't do it any other way. I mean, we're, we're on the internet and we're engaging and we're, I mean, I guess the fundamental thing is like we started this to make stuff that we, because there was product that didn't exist and we wanted to make it, right? Right. Um, it wasn't because we wanted to make a quick buck or like we saw like this like market opportunity and then we we're going to like come in there and dominate and take 40% of that market share or something like we were like, 
there's no product out there. Let, let's go fill this gap because we want it for ourselves, right? And so, yeah. Um, and so we're we're just trying to make cool shit. It's fun. <laughs> like if it wasn't fun, we I don't know if you know. At a certain point, you got to eat, you got to survive. But yeah. you know, I I didn't start out as a clothing designer, fashion designer, right? It's an accidental thing, and so I I do it because it's fun. And and so we just keep on looking for like the the spots that are that are fun and exciting and there's lots of hard work and drudgery involved too. Right. But, right. um, um, talking to people about the stuff is fun and like learning from people is fun and, you know, getting really harsh criticism is not fun, but you know, like a couple of days later, you're like, Oh, that person was right. Um, and so, you know, that that's in the end, that's good for you. And so, yeah, yeah we just you know keep on kind of learning and, and staying, you know, engaged in the 21st century. Is there any brand? I mean, we're sitting in your office right now, which is a beautiful office, by the way, but you have tons of books behind you of some beautiful, notable brands, great companies. Are there any brands that you would love to try to find a way to collaborate with? I mean, a lot of brands these days feel, or to me, like feel like there's constant collaborations. Uh, is that something you would ever want to explore or do? And we've done some collaborations. We've, we've moved away from it because, uh, you know, collaborations, like the the ones that work really well are actually like very simple changes. Like if you make a really simple, quick change and like, like just a color or something. Yeah. But it has to like have meaning and be significant and you know, that can be cool and we've done a bunch, but um, we like to get really deep in the product and that, you know, the amount of work that involves like is sort of exponential when you get a collaboration, like when it's just you and your team working, like you can work with a certain efficiency and then you get a whole other team involved and then, there's all this like learning and so if you want to get really deep into a product it's hard in a collaborative environment like we wouldn't say no to like a really you know intriguing offer but we not that excited by that sort of just mishmash like we find that it it's very rare that we're like 100 percent satisfied with the result of a collaboration right um i think that we just did one with with uh by bore out of amsterdam it was mm-hmm. like actually the first one we'd done in a couple of years and that did that was really good actually it was really fun working with them because they have a very similar ethos to us they had like they make their own software to control their own knitting machines right so we're able to like sit down and talk to them and be like here work with the, you know we want this out of like our product your material like on your knitting machine and that was super cool um so that was a lot of fun wow yeah um, some of the other brands, like what are, what would be either some brands or even things that you are like looking and like finding inspiration from for, for outlier in general? It doesn't I mean, even have to be a brand. It could be just like, what are the things that you're looking to that are help shaping you guys at future collections and pieces? I mean, uh, we've been looking at, at brutalism, like brutalist architecture a lot, like over the last couple of years. And, um, as you dig into that, it's actually the, you know, there's an aesthetic, like the sort of concrete brutalist aesthetic that's out there. Um, but there's also this sort of interesting sort of formula for what makes brutalism that goes back to the fifties. Um, and it's really simple, right? It's this sort of, uh, is Rainer Banham, the writer, and it's, you know, he broke it down to three points. It was like the memorability as image, uh, use of raw materials as is and, and clear exhibition of structure. Right. So it's this kind of like, algorithm in a sense like a creative algorithm like if you just follow these th- three things you can make brutalist architecture according to him right so we're like well how, how can we adapt that to clothing right so that's something we've been thinking about a, a bunch and, and playing around with um and then i don't know i'm looking to 
Africa a lot lately because, you know, the West just seems a little fucking dreary right now. Uh, um, okay. And so we're, we've been looking a lot at like... I agree. I'm just curious. What, I don't what, know. What I feel like there's a lot of energy. Like that's where, that's where the vibrancy and the energy seems to be coming at. So just looking at like, you know, like photos of Nigerian marketplaces and textile and print and, you know, the energy coming from, from that continent seems like it's, it's alive and real in a way that, that this sort of Western energy is, is a little not fun right now yeah do you uh do you go and like take trips for some of these places for i've never i mean i have been to africa technically but i've never been to sub-saharan africa so i'd love to go yeah um i a friend of mine he is in design and he will basically just find wherever he can get a cheap ticket under you know x amount of dollars and he'll just go there and like try to navigate his way around and it's pretty nuts i think he did that to brazil once and uh got robbed so he was like, uh, I think I'm going to have to maybe do a little bit more planning. Because he was like, oh, I'll go to Rio and just have a few hundred bucks in my pocket. And didn't turn out so well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, the tricky thing is I have a, we have a company to run. Yeah. I love to travel like all these places. <laughs> though, um, but at the flip, like there's a lot of work involved. Right. So, um, well, what's speaking of running the company, what's a typical day for you look like? I, don't, I mean, we it. We have a very like rhythmic structure to the week, so mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a typical day, but it, there's a typical Monday or it's a typical Wednesday, or you know. So, you know, today's Wednesday. We do our all hands in the morning, so like it's kind of come in. Uh, I'm not a morning person, so no, me either. Um, and but we, you know, in the in the morning we do all hands meeting every week, so it's like everybody we go through kind of really think, you know, what's what's news, what's going on, what are the sales like, what you know, what products have people been testing, and you know that kind of stuff what can we do better and so um so it's kind of just like you know we still can do it we're still small enough that like we can get everybody into one room and and have a, a real discussion um so we do that every wednesday um and then it's a lot of it's a mix of like evaluating products looking at uh what's going on online looking at sales talking on seeing what's happening on the reddit and uh um, right uh i don't know it's a mix there's a lot of product developments so, like mondays like we we start out the week really every Monday in the morning we start out by going through every single product we have in development and we do this every week right we go through and so some of them there's new samples there's cool so it's like super fun it's like start out by like diving deep into the product and and really start the week out with some like fun energy you know and um but then we also like get really methodical or like go through every single thing we have in development we're like where is it at you know has it hit problems is it you know you know what's the stage of it um and and then we dive deep into certain products that are you know because there's a new sample or we've got new information about it or something and we can really dive into the to the process and figure out um you know make changes to the product and and push it forward a lot of your product used to be made and was made here and now you have some stuff that's made in china yeah so we make stuff we make a lot of stuff in portugal and we make some stuff in china we've never been uh you know We've made a lot of stuff in New York and, and a bunch of stuff in other places in America as well, but never been like a real like jingoistic thing. It's sure. like it's we make stuff for the best possible place to make it. And a lot of times that's in your backyard. When when you're you can make it in your backyard, that's the best. You know, not only are you putting money into your community, but you can walk to the factory or walk right. to the spot and like literally be like, Oh yeah, can we do this? Can we do that? Like it's just a communication thing. It's um 
if the factory has the capabilities, then it's probably the smartest place for you to be making it. Um, but you have to work with the capacities that are around you. So right. the capacities of the New York Garment District are, are shrinking. There, there's actually some new technology coming in, which is super cool. It's a pretty new thing. Like when we started, there was no new technology in the garment <laughs> district. Like there was, like we would bring these high tech fabrics in, but like there was, you know, nobody could tape anything, nobody could bond anything, or like weld anything. Or um, yeah, I mean, from what I've heard, a friend of mine does production for uh, a technical company, and he's like, I don't care like what your he's like what your ethos is. He's like the best factories that are doing like laminating and heat sealing taping and stuff he's like are in china he's like they're just he's like i can't find a better factory yeah the um the china portugal um arteryx has an amazing factory but it's theirs you know oh <laughs> um uh, those there's sort of the three i think those are like the three pinnacle factories and there, there's a few other you know sure but when you're talking about like really high quality technical garments you're talking about a very small you know count on one hand number of factories that are out there mm-hmm. using the latest stuff putting the rigor and the you know into it to like really really push it um and you know they they tend to be in every continent but like there's one you know yeah and and then there's the working relationship i think there's a huge thing right when you're talking about a factory it's not just like oh it's not a, a servant that goes and does stuff for you. It's, it's somebody you're in partnership with, right? right? And so you need to have a good working relationship with them if you want to make really high-quality garments. If you're, like, out there to find the cheapest thing and bully people around for price and stuff, that's a whole different thing, right? And that's it's kind of the traditional, you know, garmento approach or whatever. Um, but we're not interested in that, right? There's other people making the cheapest garments, and, and usually, like, they're an ethically dubious you know practices right and so we don't like any of that we want to make the best possible product and so that means having a really good working relationship with with the factory and if that factory is in new york that's amazing if that factory is in china well the time zone difference sucks (laughs) (laughs) but it's you know if that's the best you know you know the factory we're doing uh, our tape stuff in china is amazing right and yeah and we've been able to work super well with them and so like as long as we can keep a great working relationship with them. We're, we're super excited to be making stuff there. That's awesome. Uh, I know I want to be conscious of your time. There's just a couple other things I want to ask you before we wrap up. Um, and so when you started your company, it was basically you and your partner, Tyler. And, you know, it didn't seem like, you know, like you had just started, you're selling your product, you're trying to figure it out. Um, and now, you know, like you were saying, you know, you have these meetings, you have all hands. What sort of resources or maybe mentorships were you having or seeking out and actually to learn how to really properly grow and maintain this company? I don't know. I just make it up as we go along, really. <laughs> really? Uh, there's a lot of like, I don't know, ask questions in the, but you know, like, you know, we were one of the first online, so there was right. not that much guidance. There yeah, was not exactly. that much out there. It was kind of like, just put it out there and see. Um, and again, like we had this like, very lucky window where like not that many people were online and so like you know there was two things there was like the price advantage like and you know so something that like we had that that we didn't talk about but like you know we were making 200 dollar pants which are not cheap right but they're not luxury really mm-hmm. they're at the range of like premium denim and that was kind of intentional that's like we're like that's what, like when i started i was like if i can get it to premium denim price i think i can work because i bought premium denim before i understand that mm-hmm. um and so 
you know, we had this pricing advantage where other companies, if they wanted to put it on the market, were going to be charging $500, $600, and we were charging 200 right? And so even though it was expensive, you're getting actual a lot of value in there. You're like buying a $500 pant for 200 bucks. Right. That's value. And like, you might not really know it, but you can feel it, right? Because you put it next to another $200 pant, and you're like, wait, this one is way better. Oh, for sure. Right? And so we had that huge advantage, and so that gave us a lot of room to just make mistakes, play around, learn, I don't know, just bumble into things. Right. Um, and then the other thing was that the the media ecosystem back then was, like, way less developed. So, like, you know, we could just, you know, like, put stuff online and have some pictures and like all of a sudden like people would be like oh yeah we'll put that on our blog right and and now it's like you want to be on a blog you got to fight because there's like eight thousand other brands like trying to get into like the whatever 50 slots on that blog has that day right so it's yeah um, it's a different it's a different space but like we you know we started in it and we were early so we i don't know it was just a lot of trial and error and and making some hard mistakes. Well, I think you guys' history and, and definitely like notoriety amongst other brands and stuff, I mean, the cream rises to the top. So, I mean, you guys are definitely still respected and, and admired as some of the original pioneers of this. So I think you guys are in pretty good shape. Well, we'll see. I mean, like, <laughs> I'd rather be alive and thriving than a statue, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah, there you go. Um, well, before we wrap up, is there is there any other stuff you'd like to add or mention? I don't know. I mean, the... Not really. It's just, you know, again, like we love to learn. We're just trying to make cool stuff and, and learn and, and stay alive in the process. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Thanks yeah. for your time. It was good talking to you. Yeah. Awesome. All right. See ya. You've been listening to Blamo. Our theme music is by Tanlines. If you like this episode, there's plenty more to dive into at blamopod.com. Listen to Blamo on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify now, too. While you're at it, leave a review. It helps let others know and discover the show. Feel free to get in touch or give me a shout on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Or send me an email at jeremy at blamopod.com. Thanks, and we'll see you soon.